What a time of worship, amen? It's so good to remind ourselves of the truths of God's word, of who we are and who Christ is in us and what he has for us. Um, I say what a time of worship as though it ended, but we know that when we get before God's word, the worship continues, amen? Uh, Worship is not just something we do before the preaching starts. It's a lifestyle. It's as followers of Christ, all that we do is an act of worship before his throne. And so uh, this morning we are in week three of our series, When Pigs Fly. And uh, I honestly pray that you've been encouraged and strengthened by the last few weeks. Um, It's been amazing to kind of journey through some of these things together. And so last week we were so blessed as we were talking about and finishing up the miracle of healing. Uh, We were so blessed to hear from Terry and Lynn Atwell and have them share their story with us was a great encouragement. I pray that it was to you. Uh, If you missed last week, if you weren't with us in person, uh, you need to go check it out online. You want to watch that message last week, uh, and not because of me, but just to hear what God has done and is doing in their lives. And so what an awesome time it was to kind of finish up that part of the series last week and then move into what we're going to be doing this week. So to begin, I want to do, maybe you already turned there, just an anticipation of this, uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, that's page 824, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 824, Ephesians chapter 3. And again, as I said last time, I want this passage to just resonate with us. I want it to get to the point where we just know this text. And so uh, I pray that maybe through the week you've taken some time and you've maybe read all of Ephesians up to this point, or maybe you've just read chapter three. Uh, Maybe you've read the entire book. Uh, I definitely encourage you to do that. Uh, When we start at the beginning of a book and we work our way through little by little, understanding where we're going, uh, we get to chapter three. And obviously for time's sake, we're not gonna be able to do all of that here in this uh, context. But in chapter three, we get to verse 20. And when you read chapters one and two and all that Paul builds, it has more There's more to it. And so I pray that maybe you've done some time this week or maybe you'll have some time this week to do that. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Everyone say, God is able. We need to believe that this morning. As we said the last so many weeks, God is capable. God can. I don't know about you, but sometimes I doubt if he can. But God is able. The the issue is never God's ability. If we see God work in our lives or we don't see God work the way we want him to work or we think he should work, the problem is not that he can't. 
He's more than capable. He is more than able to do what he sets forth to do. Now unto him. And I love this approach from the Apostle Paul. Everything is directed to him. Now unto him who sits in the heavenlies. Unto him that sits on his throne. Unto him, the creator of all things. This is all for him. We don't gather this morning so that we just feel good after some good music. We don't gather this morning to hear some some preaching from God's word so we feel good about ourselves or about our day or about our schedule. Now, when we get into God's word and we're studying God's word and worshiping together, we will feel response to that. Nothing wrong with that. But we don't come for the feeling or the emotion. We come for him. And I think when we come for him, directed towards him, all that we're doing, I think out of that comes this feeling of being satisfied being filled up. And I love the way the Bible talks about being overflowing, that we're filled up with him to the point of overflowing. It just, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God just spills out of us. It's amazing when we give it to him and we direct our lives to him, how he just changes everything. Man, our perspective changes. Our attitudes change. You ever, you ever be going through a bad day? I just said, if you ever be going, I don't know what's going on. That is not English. Have you ever gone through the course of a day? There we go. And and you're just having a bad day. And you just have a moment to pause and just reflect. And then just maybe a short prayer. And I'm not talking about a long, drawn-out theological prayer. It could be something simple as, God, you know the day I'm having. Would you just change my attitude? Would you remind me of your goodness, your grace? Would you remind me there's a purpose in today? Would you remind me that you've put people around me today that I need to interact with in a way that is Christ-like so that they'll see you and not me and glorify my Father which is in heaven as they see the good works I do? You see, as we, as we take moments like that, if you've been in a day like that and you've prayed that kind of prayer, isn't it amazing how quickly just saying the words with a heart of desire can change your very attitude? All of a sudden, that person that's annoying you, they're still annoying, by the way. This is church. We want to be real. We're going to preach. They're still annoying. Whatever habit that annoys you, they still do. But isn't it amazing how all of a sudden, that's not your concern? And isn't it amazing how quickly the Spirit of God will remind you of how you can be kind of annoying sometimes? How you need grace sometimes? how you need forgiveness sometimes. And see, just, it puts everything back in perspective. And so I love that Paul's approach here in Ephesians 3.20 is unto him. Everything we're doing is unto him. It's for him. It's for his glory. He establishes that even in verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Why should the church, the body of Christ... And we know the church is the body, the believers. The the better word here is congregation. We know the congregation of Christ needs to glorify our Savior, glorify God. And we know that's the body. But let me just pause here and put a little moment here to say, it's so important that we gather together physically in one place. We know this building is just the place that houses the church. 
But I pray that we don't get to the point of thinking, well, because I don't have to go to church, because the building's not the church, it doesn't really matter if I go or not. I'm fine. I'm good. No. In the New Testament, you will not find an emphasis for the believers to ignore the gathering together with other believers. The idea of a Christian living apart from a local gathering is foreign to the New Testament. It's not in there. And so we know that when we say we gather as the body of Christ, we know that the, the body is the people. But don't forget, it's the gathering together of those people that is the church, the body of Christ. And we know that it goes beyond borders. We, we talked about last week about our brothers and sisters in other countries that are suffering persecution. They're a part of the body of Christ. And so what, why, why should there be such an emphasis in the church to glorify the Father, to glorify Christ? Simple answer, because it's his body. It's his church. The only reason we have any access to the throne room of God is because of Jesus Christ. So why should I glorify Christ and glorify God as the church? Because it's his church. I know that seems really simple. But the power of that can change, again, perspective on why we even go to church. Why do we do what we do in church? Why did you get up and drive in that out there and leave your warm bed? By the way, that's the worst part about it getting cold outside. You know what I'm saying? You just snuggled in there. You finally got the blanket just right. You know what I mean? Like it's just tucked in right. It's not too far under, too far out. And this is getting a little too personal. Sorry. Um, so, but when, when we gather together, you know how to avoid feeling that weight of, I gotta go to church. Oh, I guess I better go. I gotta do this. I gotta teach. I gotta take, you know, offering. I gotta be an usher. I gotta be at the welcome center. I gotta, I gotta go be a greeter again. I got to go stand at that counter again. I got to go bring food for this again. Do you know how to avoid that mentality? When we pause and realize we gather to glorify our Savior. That this is for him. And so I love that Paul's emphasis in these couple verses is reminding us of where our direction, our attention needs to be focused. Not on us, but on him. And I think when we do that, we'll be filled And we'll feel satisfied because we are directing everything to him. So this morning, as we continue through this series, I want to be looking this morning at the miracle of protection. We talked about the miracle of deliverance. We talked about the miracles of healing. I want to talk this morning about the miracle of protection. And I know you might think, wasn't deliverance protection? Not necessarily. We've already been delivered, but we need his protection every single day. We need him to be with us every single day. As a follower of Christ, we are not left on our own, out in the wind, just to fend for ourselves. We have a God that watches over us and that is with us. Okay, that didn't resonate with you like maybe it did me when I wrote that down. I wrote that down, I was like, that's awesome. You have a God, so I'll say it again, maybe you'll get it this time. You have a God Your father in heaven is not ignoring what you go through. He's not denying you his presence. He, in fact, is watching over you and then is with you as you're going through whatever you're going through. See, there you go. That that resonated a little better. I like that. Now, I want to say something at the very beginning of this to hopefully set the stage for what we're going to talk about. When we think about protection, 
we think that that means he'll always keep us from whatever will potentially harm us, even momentarily. But I don't believe that's necessarily what we see in Scripture. And I give you an example. Many of you have read the story in the book of Daniel about the Hebrew, we say Hebrew children, they're really probably more like teenagers, probably anywhere between 15 to 17 years old. And these three Hebrew teenagers were captured from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. And they were basically being taught all the ways of the Babylonians. They were taught science and language and art and all these things. They were given different names. They were given different clothes. They were expected to just conform to the culture around them. And they did for the most part. Because they looked at the law of God and said, okay, you can call us that name. That's fine. We'll wear your clothes. That's fine. We'll learn all your science and all your education. That's fine. They completely went into that culture willing to accept a lot of those things. But just like Daniel, these three Hebrews decided we will not violate the law of God that is before us. And so when the king, you know the story, erected a massive statue and said, okay, at the music, everyone's going to bow down. And I can almost imagine, and if you read the text, they bring them to a plane, this big flat area, and all these people are gathered together, and the music starts up, and everyone just begins to bow down, and then there's those three Hebrews just standing there. And they're willing to say, we'll take your clothes, we'll learn your science, we'll learn your language, we'll speak your language, we'll take your names, we'll do anything else in this culture that does not violate the law of God. But we cannot worship an idol. That violates our law with God. So they would not conform to that. And they refused to bow down. And as a result, the king had this fiery furnace. I mean, we're talking like a brick giant pizza oven. Only they're the pizzas and they're going to get thrown in. And as their fire's going and they're threatened, they said, listen, you don't understand. If you don't bow down, we're throwing you in there. And they go, that's fine. That's fine. Our God can deliver us. But if not, we're still not going to bow down. And can I just tell you for a moment, man, what freedom in that. For them to look at Nebuchadnezzar, or if you watch the VeggieTales version, Nebi. <laughs> VeggieTales has corrupted a lot of theology. I'm just going to tell you. It wasn't a giant pickle. I'm just... It's not in the text. Okay. But when they look at the situation, they say, look, Nebuchadnezzar, and they're respectful. Do you notice that? They're not rude or arrogant or jerky. They're just, they're kind and they're respectful and they honor him as king. And look, you can do whatever you want. Our God can save us. He can deliver us from you. But if not, we're still not going to bow down. And as believers today, man, that's powerful. Because we can stand and say, no, our God could save us. He could stop you. He could take your very life if he chose to. But if he doesn't, and we got to go in there, that's fine. We're still not going to bow down. And we know the story. They get the fire going even hotter, right? Seven times hotter. The guard standing outside the furnace gets consumed by the flame when he goes to throw them in. So they throw these three Hebrews in. And they're in this fiery furnace. And then one looks in and says this amazing question. How many did we throw in? Kind of a silly question. Uh, three. And they said, well, there's a fourth one in there walking around and they're not bound. And he looks like the son of God. Now that's not him saying, I recognize that person as Jesus Christ. It's saying it's in the form of a God, like a God. There's power. There's something about this person. There's a glory there. And so the three Hebrews come out of the fiery furnace. And what does the Bible say? They don't even what? Smell like smoke. That's like being by a bonfire and going in your house and not smelling like a bonfire. When you think about this story, I wanted to point that out for one thing. Sometimes God delivers us 
from the fiery furnace. Sometimes we never got to enter the fiery furnace. Sometimes he protects us by keeping us out of that situation altogether. The trial that's supposed to come, the persecution that's supposed to come, he miraculously stops it, and we are avoided of having to go through that. And praise God when he does that, by his will. There's other times we have to go through the fiery furnace, but he's with us. He's with us in the trial. He's with us in the persecution. And sometimes we come out not smelling like the fire. Sometimes we come out marred by the fire. But then there's other times that by God's design, the greatest way to protect you from future persecution is to use the fiery furnace to bring you home. To use the trial and allow that to be the means by which you're brought before his very presence. And I know this is hard for us to get our heads around. It's hard for us to imagine. But oftentimes, this is how God operates. Sometimes he delivers us from it. We never have to go through it. Other times we go through it, and in the fire he is with us. And we come out the other side closer to him in a greater relationship with him. We lean on him now because we understand how badly we need him. And he's been with us the whole time. And other times, he uses the trial or the persecution to bring us home, to deliver us from future persecution in the greatest way possible by delivering us from it altogether. And now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I want to look at another text to get us going this morning as far as this idea of a miracle of protection. Go over to Psalm, the book of Psalm, chapter 37. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, that is page 421. Page 421. And we're going to be in Psalm 37 and just 39 and 40 for the verses. So Psalm 37, verses 39 through 40. And again, the page number, if you're using a Bible provided, 421. So Psalm chapter 37 and verse 39. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Verse 39 again. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm this in our hearts and minds. Father, as we've already talked much of Scripture, much of your word, Father, I pray that you would affirm these truths into our hearts and minds. Lord, I know that it's difficult for our human brains to understand The only reason we can even understand what we do is because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom you give unto us, the illumination you give our minds to be able to comprehend these things. But in this world, Lord, as we know, it is a fallen world. And there is sin and wickedness all around us, which is not hard for us to understand because we know our own selves. And we know where we've been and what we've done and what we're capable of. But Father, in this world, as followers of Christ... There are those who are antagonistic to the things of Christ, who persecute, attack, put us through trials and struggles and sufferings. 
And I pray, Lord, that we would know that no matter what's going on around us in those circumstances, whether we've been delivered from the persecution, from the fiery furnace, whether we're in it and we're going through it, but that you are with us, walking every step, Lord, in a lot of ways, carrying us through it. Or, Father, if it's by your will that you would use that very persecution to bring a brother and sister, or sister home to be in your presence, Lord. In, in whatever way we find ourselves in this life, I pray that we would know that you are not ignorant, that you are not lacking in knowledge of, of understanding what we're going through. And so I pray that we would know that you are with us and that all of this, Lord, is unto you. It's for you. It's for your glory. I pray that you and your name will go forth and your fame greater than any other name. And so, Father, again, open our minds to this by the working of the Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this verse, and it's amazing how God works. Um, Daniel read the passage from Psalms, and uh, just amazing how God orchestrated all of this together to, to remind us that no matter what we see around us, that God is our help in a time of trouble. When trouble comes, we have a strength not of ourselves. He is our strength. When trouble comes, let me just ask real quick, how many of you have gone through a troublesome experience in your life at some point in your life up to this point? Raise your hand. Trouble in your life, a trial, a persecution, something. Okay, so I thought. So when that trouble came into your life as a follower of Christ, you were not left alone. You were not out in the wind. You were not fending for yourself. The Spirit of God, the strength and the power that works in us, according to Ephesians 3, was there with you, strengthening you. It's amazing when he strengthens us, it's not temporary. We strengthen ourselves, we can have a regiment, we can do things to get stronger, but we got to keep at it. If we stop, we'll lose some of that strength. But the Spirit of God, when he works in you and he strengthens you, it is a power that is beyond you. And it is given to you graciously. All of Psalm 37, if you want to jot it down and, and look it up or look at it for yourself this week, all of Psalm 37 is kind of a back and forth between the perspective of the wicked prospering and the just trusting in the Lord. It's kind of this back and forth. And as David is writing here, he is reminding his readers that God has a plan and will make all things right according to his will. No matter how it looks, God is with them. And that is so important for us to get, especially in today's day and age. We can look around us and think there's nothing here. There's just chaos. It's madness. It's, God, God, how could you fix this? And we can trust, as David reminded them in Psalm 37, it looks crazy. It looks like the righteous are losing. It looks like the wicked are winning. But God will make all things right in his time. And he will show himself righteous and true. And we're not called to fix the world. We're not called to fix our neighbor. We're called to trust Christ as faithful and then be his faithful servant in sharing the gospel that others may come to know Christ. A different translation uses the word here, Instead of strength, in Psalm 37, 39, instead of the word strength, it uses the word fortress. Fortress. I love that. There is this fortress that is available to us. And when we go through times of trouble and struggle, guess what we can do? We can run to that fortress. We can run to that protection 
to that place of safety. But I want to make sure we understand something. It's not because we fear our persecutors. We do not run to the fortress that is our God because we fear those who persecute us. We run to the fortress that is our God because we trust in our God. We do not run to the fortress because we fear our persecutors. Because perfect love casts out all fears we were saying about this morning. We run to the fortress because he is good. And he is for us. And we trust in him in all things. I want to move into an example of God's protection. And that it doesn't always look like. And in fact, it very rarely looks like what we think it will. So Acts, turn over to Acts chapter 16. I know we've been going to a lot of different verses this morning, a lot of different passages. Acts chapter 16, I want to unpack this from Scripture just a little bit more. If you're using a Bible provided, page 779. So Acts chapter 16. We have to understand that long before you had a problem, God had a plan. Long before you had a problem, a trial, a persecution, a struggle, God had a plan. Long before those three Hebrews stood before Nebuchadnezzar, God had a plan. Now we know they purposed in their heart, along with Daniel, to not defile themselves, to not do anything that would displease their God. But even before that, God had a plan. I believe they felt led to make that decision when they did because God was working in them to prepare them for what was coming down the road. And I believe we can learn a lot from that in our own lives. That the time we spend with God in daily quiet time, studying his word and praying today, when all is good, when all is is at peace, everything seems to be going good, right? Kids are actually listening, behaving, Everything's, you just, the room's getting clean. You're just blown away. I can't believe this. I only said it once and they did what they were supposed to do. I mean, anything, I mean, with God, anything is possible. Amen. But as everything's going good, do you know why it's so vital that we still spend time with him consistently? Because we have no idea what tomorrow holds. And that is why when we spend this time with him, And we're in his word and we're praying and we're seeking him. When everything is good, he's preparing us. Remember, it's him working in us, not us working in us. As he is working in us, he's preparing us. So when that phone call comes that you didn't know was coming, but he did, you're ready. When the persecution comes that you didn't know about, he knew about it and he was making you ready. He was preparing you. When you get called to be a missionary in a place that it literally could cost you your very life to be a follower of Christ. And you want to surrender and you want to go, but you're a little fearful. He was preparing you for that moment. You see, long before you had a problem, God had a plan. Acts chapter 16, I want to look at a problem that Paul faced. And it's a familiar passage for some. I pray not too familiar, but I pray it's an encouragement to you. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. This is Paul and Silas. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, 
having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. See, Paul and Silas faced a problem. Now, when you think about this, do you think Paul and Silas woke up that morning planning to be beaten and thrown in prison? Do you think they look forward to that? Like they put it in their phone, like, okay, 3.30, beating and prison. Got it. Remind me, 20 minutes before. No, no, of course not. None of us plan for these kind of moments where we face these troubles and these trials. Look at verses 16 through 20. Let's look at what happened right before, because maybe there was something there that gave them an inkling of what was happening. Look at verses 16 through 20 of Acts 16. And it came to pass as they went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying, fortune telling. So real quick, this girl is a slave. She's owned by masters. She's been possessed by a demon, and she now has the ability to seemingly soothsay or fortune tell. Doesn't mean, now, and this is the key here. It's not so much that Satan knows your future exactly because he doesn't. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. But he knows human behavior. He knows human situations, and he knows our past. He knows the future as far as what's re- re- uh, revealed in God's word. And so here, this girl has this ability to make money by fortune telling. Verse 17, the same followed Paul and us and cried saying, these men are the servants of the most high God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. So they're walking around trying to preach Christ, and this girl's walking around shouting behind them or in front of them, these men are from the Most High God. They're showing us the way. She's declaring these things. Now, let's pause for a second. What she says is actually true. This is really what they're doing. But it's a distraction because it's also connecting the gospel ministry with this demonic influence. And people are like, oh, she's with them. So everything she's been saying and doing up to this point, they're in agreement with because they're all one. They're all together. She's part of their group. She's actually even saying truth is detracting from the gospel. Detracting from what Paul and Silas are about. And she did this many days. Look again at what it says here in verse 18. But Paul, being grieved and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, now they can't make money off of her anymore. It says they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. And what did they do? Brought them to the magistrates saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. It's not about their money making profits anymore. It's about, well, these guys are just causing an issue in the city. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. So what happens here is quite amazing. Paul is doing exactly what he's called to do by God. He's ministering the gospel. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And as a result of that, he's beaten and thrown in prison. Because he did exactly what God wanted him to do. He wasn't unfaithful. He wasn't sinning and unrepentant. He did exactly what God said, and yet this is where he finds himself. Paul was doing the work he was called to do. He was being faithful. 
And yet this is the result. The encounter with the situation of the demon and casting out the demon is something very interesting. And we can see why these people were upset. And obviously they're not happy with him because of this. But this isn't all that he was doing that was causing him to be faithful and consistent. Let's go back up a little bit farther. Look at verses 13 through 15. Maybe there's something here that reveals why Paul is being punished this way. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Okay, so what happens here? They go to a prayer service because there's apparently no synagogue. And they meet this group of individuals that are praying and worshiping. And one of them is named Lydia. And she's from a different city. And she's come. And they're worshiping. And Paul shares the gospel. And she comes to the saving faith in Christ and is baptized. And then invites them to stay in her home. So apparently she's somebody of great wealth that has area in her home to put these guys up. And so again, Paul leads someone to Christ. Baptizes them. Then casts a demon out of someone. Setting her free. And as a result, is thrown in prison. They freed one woman from demonic possession, lead another one into life in Christ, and this is their reward. And I have to stop and pause here. Have you ever been in your Christian life and just stopped and went, Lord, really? Like, seriously? Like, like this is what you're going to allow to happen right now? I'm living for you. I'm faithful. I'm trying to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to church. I'm trying to raise my kids in the right way. I'm sharing Christ. I'm doing these things. And this is what you let happen in my life. And I think if we're honest, we've all been there. We've all said that to the Lord. Really? Like, like, really? This is what's going to happen. And Paul and Silas found themselves here. Again, last week we prayed for our brothers and sisters in other areas of the world that are literally beaten and imprisoned for their faith, for doing nothing else than just living for Jesus or thrown into prison. No trial, no justice. You're a believer, you're thrown into prison. We may let you out one day. And why are they being imprisoned? Because of exactly what Paul and Silas went through, just living faithful lives before Christ. These believers in other nations are doing exactly what God is calling them to do, literally just living for Jesus and yet face tremendous persecutions and problems. They have all kinds of issues and problems and sufferings and trials as Paul and Silas do. And yet long before they ever had that problem, God had a plan. The reason it's okay to ask God really is because God will draw us into his word and say, yes, really. And this is why I'm allowing this in your life. Now, sometimes it's revealed in the moment. Sometimes it takes a long time. But as we find with Paul and Silas, God revealed his plan. God revealed his plan. Look at verse 26. We're going to read a few more verses. We're not going to get through the whole message this morning. That's fine. But I really want to unpack this before us. Verse 26. So they're in prison. Their feet are fast in stocks. That means they're chained. And suddenly... I love when the Bible talks about something happens suddenly. 
because it sounds to us like it was like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. And God's been planning it all along. But to us, it's suddenly. To God, it was just the next step of his plan. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. Look at verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners have been fled. What was his charge? We read it. Keep them safely. You know what that means? If anything happens to them or they get away, it's your head. So he figured, I'll save the executioner some time. I'll just take my own life. I'll sacrifice my own life because I failed in my duties. Verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Now this is not saying that his faith or the jailer's faith is transferred to his family. It's saying the same way that you'll be saved is the same way your household will be saved. And I love this definition of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What is required for salvation? To believe. To believe. Verse 32 And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. So now we're giving the fullness of the gospel. What does it really mean? And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. So he's washing the wounds of Paul and Silas. So up to this point, their backs are still wide open, sores. They're still suffering the wounds. And now the jailer says, I'll wash these wounds. Goes on to say this, and after that was baptized he and all his straight way. And when he had brought them into his house, he sat meat before them and rejoiced, believing God with all his house. Why, Lord? Why would you ever allow us to go through this? God, why would you not stop this? You could stop this. Why would you allow me to go through this? Don't you care? Don't you want to protect me? Don't you care enough to watch over me? Why would Paul and Silas go through this? Because God needed, wanted, desired Paul and Silas in that jail. Why would God not deliver us and keep us from all persecution in this world? He's able. He's overcome the world. But the reason is because he has a plan. God placed Paul and Silas in that jail cell so that they might be set free physically through the earthquake. And so that they might lead the jailer and his family to be set free spiritually. God put Paul and Silas in chains to set them free physically so that they might set through the gospel, the jailer free spiritually. In one night, think of all that God did and all that God changed. In one night. Not just the jailer, not just Paul and Silas, but anyone else in the prison. And this is the start, along with those converted with Lydia, of what we call the Philippian church. The letter of Philippi, or the the church at Philippi to the letter to the Philippians. This is the start of that church. This jailer, his household, those that were converted with Lydia. This is an amazing moment. God established a church in a situation we never would have imagined would be fruitful. But God is able. God is able. 
And when you read the letter to the church of Philippi, you're going to find out they loved the Apostle Paul and he loved them. And they actually communicated or helped in his missions more than any other local church. Isn't God good to establish this church this way? I also want to take a moment and remind us that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. This church, Philippi, was a Roman colony. So they would have been practicing that whole when in Rome, do as the Romans. That's what they would have been doing. All the Roman law applies in this city. And as Roman citizens, Paul and Silas could have said, we're Roman citizens, you can't touch us. You can't beat us openly. You can't put us in prison. You can't do that without a trial and without a hearing. But for whatever reason, Paul and Silas did not invoke their citizenship. And we don't know why. So many people have made assumptions why. We don't know why. Nowhere in the text does it tell us why. They just, maybe they didn't have time. Maybe they didn't have an opportunity. Maybe they chose to just trust God and say, Lord, maybe you have something else in mind. For whatever reason, they waited. Now, later on in the book of Acts, we see that Paul does invoke his citizenship and it causes him to go to a lot of different individuals and see a lot of different situations and so on. But here he doesn't do that. And in spite of it, God had a plan. When it seems like God is allowing us to go through it and only you and I in our own situations can know how we describe going through it. We've all gone through it, and I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is, we've been through it. My encouragement to you is don't doubt him. Don't doubt him. Trust that he is with you and has a plan. His fortress is open for you, and we can run to it, and we can find protection even in the midst of the fiery furnace situation we're in. And so I want to ask you this morning as we spend some time at invitation. We're going to kind of pause right here and pick it up next week. But I want to just ask you, we're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to have an opportunity to come and bend a knee and pray and seek the Lord. And whether they're in your seats or here at the altar, maybe you're going through something right now. And as you're going through whatever it is you're going through, maybe you've been doubting God's goodness, faithfulness. Maybe you've been questioning, why would he ever allow you to go through something like this? My encouragement to you is, Know that he is good. And know that long before you had a problem, he had a plan. And it may seem like you don't know why and it's not making sense. But believe me when I tell you, based on God's word, he is working his plan. And there is things happening around you that you can't even understand. And maybe through you, he is going to do more than you can ever imagine. Because he is able. Sometimes it's from the fiery furnace. We never go through it. Sometimes it's through the fiery furnace. And sometimes we're delivered home by the fiery furnace. But whatever it is that God is doing, we trust him because he is good. He is our strength. And so whatever you're going through, maybe you look at the world around us and you're thinking, it's all falling apart. Just look at all this craziness. Let's pause for a second. Two things I'll encourage you with. One, pause and realize how blessed you really are. Again, last time I checked, there's no one with guns outside the door waiting to arrest us because we gathered for church in Jesus' name this morning. So let's pause and pump the brakes a little with how horribly we're being persecuted. Let's put it in perspective and realize that maybe we need to reevaluate a little bit of what we're going through. And I'm not saying we're not being persecuted at some de- to some degree, but I'm just saying maybe we need to pump the brakes and realize he has blessed us tremendously. Again, just a little reminder, we are doing freely what brothers and sisters are risking their lives to do, and yet we do it infrequently and on convenience, and that's a 10 church. 
We show up when we have nothing else going on. They fight and crawl and desire just to see another believer and to worship, even though it may cost them their lives. And we do it when we have time. And so maybe we need to evaluate and realize, yes, we have problems, but maybe, just maybe, God is still good and blessing us tremendously. But maybe you're going through something personal. It's not out here. It's not this, you know, it's not the culture. It's not the world. It's something personal you're going through, a trouble, a problem, a trial. Then I'm going to encourage you to do what we should always do and just fall on our face and say, God, I need your strength. And maybe you would do that this morning here at the altar or there in your seats. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we know that we all can get our eyes off of you and put them on our situations, on our troubles, our problems. And I know, Lord, that trials and persecution are different for everyone in this room. Maybe there's somebody here, Lord, that's a follower of Christ, but their husband or wife is not. So every time they go home from church, Lord, it's a battle. It's a war. Maybe there's someone here that has a wayward child. And they just, they just cry out for you to watch over them and to be with them. Maybe there's a believer here today, Lord, that is just confused because it doesn't make sense why you would allow things to happen the way you do. Whatever it is, Lord, that we're going through, I pray that we would know that you are good and you are the fortress that you call us to run to. Not because we fear our persecutors, but because we trust in you. And so help us to run to you for strength. Give us victory in our minds over the flesh that wants to corrupt and distort. Make us believe that because of what we're seeing, that somehow you're not good. And Father, also may we know that as we're going through it, that you have a plan. If you would ask everyone in this room, Lord, how to plan a church, I don't think anyone here would start by putting themselves in prison. I don't think any of us would start that way. But that's exactly what you did. And it was your plan. And it was effective and fruitful. And so, Father, may we understand that sometimes and oftentimes your plan will conflict with our wants, our desires, and our schedule. But we trust you as being good. Father, thank you for your grace. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they would come to know you before they leave this place by receiving the free gift of salvation, believing that they have sinned, calling upon you in your name to forgive them and save them, believing you died on the cross for them, were buried and rose again, and that when we repent from our sin, turn and trust in you, that you will save us because you are good. Thank you for working in us to reveal sin to us that we might know it, repent of it, and turn to you, receiving your faith, or receiving your grace by faith. Father, again, may you be glorified in all of this. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing a song of invitation? Would you just respond to the Lord as he is drawing you? Whether here at the altars, you want to come and pray, going through something, you want to pray for his strength and wisdom, don't worry about anyone else. This is about you and the Lord right now. How are you wanting to respond to what God is doing? Would you respond?